Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Cool, so it's Palm Sunday, and um, I really want to just, um, you know, we're continuing on from our uh, series that we've been looking at. We've been looking at the idea of uh, striding through the book of Luke and watching Jesus' journey through it, uh, his journey towards the cross ultimately, and trying to grow in confidence uh, in our own walk by doing that. Um, and that's what we're going to do today, uh, switching into a Palm Sunday vibe, looking a little bit towards uh, that last week of Jesus and his last week of striding uh, toward the cross. Uh, with the idea that as we do so, we're going to see some things uh, in that journey uh, that we hope will uh, cause us to glorify him and cause us to worship him uh, in a new way. We often look at Easter and we look at these events as just dates on the calendar that kind of scroll by. And what we want to do is to just take a deeper look and to look at uh, his purpose active sort of behind the scenes. Uh, one of the uh, images that uh, was so interesting for me as a young man was uh, some of the Apollo uh, moon landings, even as a young kid. Um, the idea that humans could get to the moon, it, it was, it was you know, kind of this exciting thing. It was, you know, spaceships and rockets and, you know, seeing the odd uh, news report uh, that had been recorded some years past. You know, by the time I was uh, in my, you know, eight or nine years old, all of the Apollo missions had ended. But there was still this excitement about it. Um, and what was interesting was um, uh, when I was probably about 10 years old, I had the opportunity to actually meet an astronaut. Uh, There's a guy named Jim Irwin, who was a uh, uh, mission uh, person on Apollo uh, 15. And uh, he described uh, some things that helped me see some of the complexity behind the scenes that I hadn't understood. Uh, he was able to describe what it was like that, to engineer and create uh, the rocket that took him to the moon. The thousands of engineers and machinists and fabricators uh, who put it together, the millions and millions of dollars uh, of research into technology, uh, into uh, different aspects of the mission, the hours, countless hours of training that he underwent, uh, going in the isolation chamber and that, you know, crazy spinning machine that we see in all the movies where they're tested out on how they experience the G-forces, um, and just the grueling, like, physical activity and getting in and out of space, it's the whole deal, right? Just incredible complexity behind it, just a million steps and thousands of people behind the scenes making uh, this one image that I was so captured by as a kid. Uh, possible. And we look at that image now and we see some things that are a part of our lives. We see, you know, uh, an early electric car. Uh, we see cell phone technology. We see fasteners and seals and all kinds of different things that are just a common part of our life now that were developed in this massive process that uh, was really a phenomenal journey for a whole nation uh, to take. 
And we can do that uh, kind of thing. We, we'll scroll past images like that all the time without seeing what's really happened behind them. We scroll uh, through images and think that that is just a, a fixed point. That is just a, a two-dimensional thing that's on our phone. And we don't imagine the history. We don't imagine the depth. We don't imagine uh, the power uh, of a community that comes together to make this kind of thing happen. Uh, in our culture, we just look at things. We look at a thousand images like this every day, and we just look so shallowly at it. And we can honestly, we can honestly do the same thing with the cross. Um, we scroll by it, and we become desensitized to the incredible beauty of the plan that Jesus executed to save us. Uh, we miss the intentionality in it. We miss the divine will of God working in it. We miss the power of him engineering history to bring us to this moment where Jesus died on the cross to save us uh, from our sins. We glance at a cross hanging on someone's neck or scroll through an image on social media or scroll by the dates on our calendars and think, hey, there's Easter, I better go pick up some chocolate. But there's so much more happening. Um, and, and we don't necessarily always see it as something that is uh, something that happened according to uh, the purpose and will of God. And that's what... Uh, Peter said in his sermon uh, after the events, when he's talking to people and explaining it in the book of Acts, he says, Jesus was delivered up according to the divine plan and foreknowledge of God. And if you, uh, you know, learned anything about uh, the Jesus story, you know, from chit-chat in your high school or uh, little uh, articles that you maybe read or discussions with people in philosophy class, and you've not really grown up in the, in the faith, not really grown up as a person uh, in the church, you'll look at this story of Jesus and think, yeah, that was just a pretty neat guy in history who kind of did some okay things. And then some people cobbled together something from this complex story and wrote some words down and ultimately uh, a religion evolved out of it. And here we are today. Um, but this is not something that just emerged out of a moment of chaos in history when some people decided to try to write some things down. This is something that happened with a definite plan and purpose and, and foreknowledge of God, there's something really powerful and really majestic in us understanding uh, the will of God unfolding uh, through history. Uh, we are talking about in this series about uh, the word stride, meaning to take long, decisive steps in a specified direction. And that's what the cross is about. That's what the story of this last week of Jesus' life on earth before he was crucified is about. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of go step by step with him on the journey, not just to see the cross, and, and, and it is awesome, it is beautiful, it is amazing to look at it and just simply know that that is the thing that saved us. But we want to be able to look at it more deeply and see the story as it unfolded. Uh, so normally we would zoom in on the triumphal entry text this week, but this week we're going to try to do something a little bit different and just walk through the narrative, the story that led up to the moment of the cross, and just allow that to affect us, allow that to impact us. Um, there's three reasons in doing this. There's three things that I want us to get 
out of this idea of understanding the intentionality of God. And the first thing is I want us to marvel at it. I want us to be in awe of it. I want us to be astounded by it. I want us to be blown away by the incredible, uh, complex, vast, long-thinking mind of God, and for us to worship Him for it, for us to glorify Him, for us to stand here for a moment with our mouths hanging open and say, whoa, God, love me that much. The second thing I want us to do is to just learn how to receive it, to see in all of these moments through history, to see the love of God and to see that salvation and to see how desperately we need it, to be honest with ourselves about the sin inside of us, the brokenness inside of us, um, the brokenness of humanity, the fallenness of humanity, and to know that that salvation is something we need and to know that he loved us intentionally and powerfully so that we can simply receive it and respond to him. And if you're a person who's listening to this and you've never received the love of Christ, you've never received uh, his uh, incredible passion for you, and you've never said, I can trust you, Jesus, I can follow you. I'm hoping this morning you'll be able to see his love and take a further step. And if you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, my hope is that you'll be able to receive it more deeply than you ever have, his love, and that you'll be able to follow him more closely. And that's the third thing I want us to get out of the story, is to see how Jesus strode through those moments of his life, how he walked through those moments of life, and to be people who emulate him, and to be people who follow him, to be people who walk in the same way that he walked, to allow him to teach us to love by watching the way he loved. So I want to go back for a second to the place where the journey began, and you uh, might not, uh, it might not be where you think it is. Maybe you would think it began at the manger, but the journey of Jesus' walk to the cross started long before that. Uh, the book of Revelation, the author John uh, points back to the moment when that journey began, and he refers to Jesus in Revelation 13.8 as the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. That this is a plan that was in God's heart before he made the universe. Before he spoke anything into existence, he knew how it all would unfold. And he, in perfect unity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity existing before that which they created, saw how it would unfold and planned the steps of the Son of God to the cross. Infinity BC, that many years uh, before we saw that moment in history where Jesus was crucified. Approximately somewhere in the ballpark of 4,000 years BC, uh, humanity fell from grace. We have the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, we, if we have that, you know, literal uh, genealogy written in the book of Genesis, uh, pointing back to Adam and calculating the dates, you get somewhere in the neighborhood of 4,000 years. Um, and in that moment, uh, when Adam and Eve chose their own way and chose to rebel, immediately after that, when they were deceived by the serpent, God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. 
and between your offspring and hers. And he saw the cross in that moment. And he said, he will crush your head. The very moment humanity fell, that plan was declared and Jesus took a step towards the cross. 1446 BC. This is the story of the Exodus. The people are leaving, uh, uh, leaving Egypt. Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb reflected in the Exodus. And I'm just going to go through these really quickly. And there's so many more, but reflected in the Exodus is the sacrifice of the lamb of God. A thousand BC, uh, Psalm 22 is roughly when that was written. Uh, That's called the Psalm of the cross that begins thousands, a thousand years before Jesus was crucified with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words of Jesus spoken on the cross and ending with it is finished. For that, that incredible psalm, you'll have to read it sometime and look at the story of Jesus just in that psalm written a thousand years before Jesus walked the walk to the cross. 700 BC, Isaiah now the prophet speaking, all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the will of God to bruise him. He has put him to grief. We see the will of God bruising Jesus foreshadowing that death on the cross for us 700 years before the time of of Christ. Isaiah saw a glimmer of God's plan unfolding. And in that moment, Jesus took another step on the road to the cross. Much later after Jesus was born, we could have spoken about things around his birth, so many other moments that we could look at in the minor prophets. But jumping ahead to 28 AD, when Jesus is on the scene, his ministry is just beginning, and he walks and encounters John the Baptist, his cousin. And John the Baptist identifies him and sees by revelation a moment, in a moment who Jesus is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 27 AD, about a year later, Jesus is explaining this to his disciples. Uh, they're up north at this time. And he says this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. Jesus knew he was walking steps to the cross. He was telling his disciples he was walking steps to the cross, though they didn't understand it. And so we see as we approach Holy Week that every moment in the narrative of the story of God's people from before the beginning of time, all the way through uh, the Gospels, all the way through now this week that we're going to explore, Passion Week, every moment in the narrative of Jesus' life is a step in his journey towards the cross. Every person, every problem he encounters is a soul and a situation that he has planned from before the beginning of time, from before the beginning of time to come in power and in love to redeem. This is a majestic story. This is a majestic plan and we want to worship him in it. And I'm not going to get through this thing. (laughs) So we arrive at the triumphal entry. We arrive at this moment where Jesus, that that we've sung about just a few seconds ago, Jesus entered 
and Jerusalem is king and people are waving palm branches. Uh, they're shouting Hosanna. Hosanna to him who comes in the name of the Lord. They're worshiping him. Uh, the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees are telling people to shut up, but Jesus says, no, no, let them shout. If they don't shout, even the stones will cry out, proclaiming his glory. He knew that this moment of him being recognized and being crowned was something that was planned uh, before the foundation of the world, but he knew the controversy that it would bring, and he knew the misunderstanding of those who were shouting those things about him. And, and we want to see who we are in that moment, that we are the people standing beside Jesus uh, and so often excited about what he's done for us, but not really understanding what his kingdom and what his kingship means. And so here, like every other moment in the story, for every moment we mistake his kingdom authority and we see it as some paltry thing that exists uh, for our entertainment or for our pleasure. For every moment we glibly shout that he is king and don't act like he is king. In that moment, he looks at us with love in his eyes. And he takes another step upon the road to the cross. After that, he went into the temple and he saw that people were there changing money. People were charging exorbitant rates to sell sacrifice animals that could be sacrificed. And he saw this incredible corruption, this incredible financial corruption, this incredible uh, greed that was within the house of God, that was within his temple, uh, the place where people were meant to worship him. And he said, uh, this is my house, but my house shall be called the house of prayer. You have made it a den of robbers. And in his wrath and in, in some, uh, in, and I forget which gospel it is, but he weaves together a, a whip and he begins to drive people out of the temple and he's overturning tables and he's allowing justice against greed to flow. And in that moment, Jesus looks on you. And he looks on me with love and he sees our greed and he sees our avarice and he sees the deceptions we put forward to get the things we want. And he looks us on us with love and he takes another step upon the road to the cross. After that, he's uh, teaching in the temple for a number of days as the week unfolds. And there are so many incredible teachings just in that gap between the triumphal entry and between and his crucifixion. In the time between then and the Last Supper, there's just so much richness of last instructions that he gives to his disciples. But that too is another step on the road to the cross for every moment uh, we are unteachable for every moment we don't hear him for every moment we know something that he's called us to do and we refuse to do it for every moment we rise up in our intellectual pride and think we understand all there is to understand about him for every moment we choose something foolish to open up and watch and we don't delve into the scriptures for every moment of our sin in that jesus looks on us 
in love. And he takes another step upon the road to the cross. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Uh, he's looking from the Mount of Olives down upon the city. He says, oh my, uh, that I could gather you as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings, feeling this incredible nurturing passion as a savior to grab the people of God and to gather them and to shelter them. And he says, would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace in Luke 10, 1942. Would that you had known the things that make for peace. He's standing there on the road to the cross. And for every time we pray and seek peace, but we seek it through power, we seek it through control, uh, or we seek peace through medicating, we seek peace through false peace. He is standing there on the Mount of Olives and looking over us and looking over our lives. And he is standing there taking another step upon the road to the cross. Uh, just a few days later, uh, he's gathered with his disciples before the uh, Last Supper. And it's an amazing moment. It says that he becomes aware in that moment uh, in John 13. He knows that the hour had come for him to depart. And knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands, it should be a moment of rest, a moment of relief, a moment of it's finished, it's done, it's all set. I can just stop striding. I can stop driving in this moment. I can just let it all happen. But in that moment of what should be rest... He takes another step and he enters into the room with his disciples. He takes off his robe and in his underwear, kneels down and he takes a basin and he takes a towel and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And they're astounded as he does this, seeing their king and their savior serving them in this way. And we look at that moment and say, where are we in that picture? We may be Peter who said, hey, uh, you can't wash my feet. I'm, I'm, I, with a sense of, of pride, with a sense of, no, 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 don't, don't let this happen. Or we can be uh, on the other side where we are simply uh, too broken to believe that he can touch us, too broken to believe that he can care for us. Can we in that moment be people who allow him to serve us, who know that we need to be cleansed, who know that we need to be washed, and who know that we need to do the same for others? For every moment, we are too proud to let him serve us. For every moment that we are too proud to serve another. He looks at the sin of our pride, and he looks on us in love, and he takes another step upon the road to the cross. For the Last Supper, he's gathered around. He says, I've earnestly desired to have this Passover with you in Luke chapter 2, 14 to 16. I've eagerly desired to have you in community. I've eagerly desired to gather you. And we know that in our lives, there are so many moments when he just longs to have fellowship with us, longs uh, to have relationship with us, longs to have us uh, in his presence longs to share in covenant moments with us and we choose so many other things and he looks with a longing for relationship at us 
longing for us to see his beauty, longing for us to see his glory. He looks at the sin of our distracted hearts and he looks at us in love. And he takes another step upon the road to the cross. Just a few moments later, he's at Gethsemane and he's praying. He's asking the disciples to come and to gather around and to pray with him, to watch over him while he prays. They gather, they fall asleep, uh, unable to sustain the attention. He walks a few moments away, a few steps away and prays to the point of shedding blood, weeping tears of blood. Jesus uh, kneels upon the rocks and cries out to the Father, Oh Lord, would you let this cup be taken from me? If there's any way that this can happen without uh, this sacrifice that I'm about to do, Lord, could, could you make that happen? And then he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment with his disciples sleeping over elsewhere in the garden, he looks at them and he looks at me, at our inability to follow through on his will, at our inability to uh, do the things that maybe he is calling us to do. Anytime we've exerted our will above his, anytime we've chosen our way when we've known what his way is, he looks at us in that moment with love in his eyes and he takes another step upon the road to the cross. We look at the betrayal of Judas while they're gathered in that garden. The soldiers come. Judas has just betrayed him. And uh, Judas comes up to him to identify him to the soldiers. And he comes with uh, a kiss as the signal. A kiss that should be love and should be care and should be worship and should be adoration. Uh, but Judas comes with a kiss of betrayal and identifies Jesus to the soldiers and in that moment, you know, Peter rises up in anger and strikes off the ear of a soldier and uh, Jesus heals this poor guy and goes in a submitted and humble way, bound with the soldiers. And for every moment of betrayal, for every moment when we should have worshipped, for every moment when we've spoken behind another person's back, for every moment we've betrayed them, for every moment we've told a lie about another, for every moment we've chosen our good and our gain over that of another human, Jesus receives that kiss from us, that kiss of betrayal. And he walks with the soldiers and he looks on us in love. And he takes another step upon the road to the cross. Now Peter denied him just shortly after that when Jesus is taken to the Sanhedrin. He's taken there into the, uh, the place where he's going to have a discussion with uh, the father of the high priest, Annas, uh, with Caiaphas, the high priest, and ultimately be in the Sanhedrin. But in that moment in Annas's house, uh, he comes and uh, Jesus has already warned him that he's about to deny him. And three times people come up to Peter. And Peter, who has said, no, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Uh, people come up to him and say, hey, are you with this Jesus guy? You seem like somebody who looks like you were hanging with them. And Peter says, no, 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 I've never seen him before. I'm not with him. He's not my guy. And at the third time he did that, a rooster crowed three times and Peter knew that he had denied Jesus. And we are Peter in this story. And we deny Jesus all the time. 
We are asked if we know him. We are asked about our Christian lives. We are asked about our lives at church. We are asked about if we follow him and we quietly make up some excuse to not go deep in relationship and share the journey of Jesus with others because we're ashamed and we're afraid. And in that moment, we're Peter and Jesus looks on us in love and takes another step on the road to the cross. Uh, Jesus came uh, for trial. Uh, he is being questioned in the Sanhedrin. He has uh, the most divided political parties of his age now united, but united against him, united against their own Messiah. Uh, as they accuse him, he remains silent. Uh, they say this, they say, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ. And Jesus says, well, you've said so. Like, you would not be this angry if you didn't know who I was, if you didn't know that I'd come to take authority from you, is what he's saying in that. And we are those people judging Jesus. We are those people so often as human beings who say to him, uh, who are you? Like, we're going to pretend we don't know who you are. We're going to pretend we don't know about your glory. We don't, we're going to pretend we don't know about your authority. Uh, we're going to choose other things. We're going to seek other things. We're going to choose to be kings of our own land. And we're going to push you aside. And Jesus looks at them as he looks at us. And he takes another step upon the road to the cross. Jesus is gathered uh, with Pilate. Uh, Pilate is there. Pilate can save him. Pilate can set him free. Pilate can override all these rulers who've brought them to it. Pilate is the one who has the power to crucify him. But he meets with Jesus and says, there's no fault in this man. There's nothing wrong with him. There's nothing that uh, that he's done. I, I, have, I have no uh, reason to kill him. But if you insist, I guess I will kill him. And Pilate is like sort of begging Jesus to make an excuse for, for Pilate to defy the leaders. He says to him, uh, you won't speak to me, but don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? This is in John chapter 19. And Jesus answers him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. In that moment, Jesus points out to Pilate that he is not the real authority in the world that he does not have authority that was not given him by God. That the authority that was given Pilate to crucify Jesus came according to God's plan and ultimately from Jesus himself. And all those times when we ignore the authority of Jesus, when we think that we are autonomous, when we as humans think in humanistic ways that all of our decisions, all of our will matters, everything that we have uh, is, is really for us, that everything that we do is ultimately for us, that we ultimately are there to love us, that we ultimately are there to elevate us, and we forget that the sovereign creator of the universe is there guiding us and moving history along and has placed us in it according to his will in his time as every time we pridefully see uh, more in our ability to choose than there is. He looks on us. He looks on us with love. He knows his authority as creator of the universe. And he takes another step on the road to the cross.
knowing that he's working forgiveness and salvation for us. And Jesus is ultimately then uh, convicted and ultimately then uh, given over to the soldiers and they take him and they strip him naked and they put a red robe on him to mock him as a king. They take a crown of thorns and they place it on his head and they, they whip him. And for every time a human being has murder in their hearts and violence in their hearts and bullying in their hearts and, and, and has a passion to harm another human being, to break them down, to destroy them, to lower them, for every time that murder is in our hearts. And sometimes we do it just with words. Jesus looks on those soldiers just like he looks on us with love. And he takes another step on the road to the cross. And finally, they give him his cross. He can only carry it part of the way. Ultimately, there's a man named Simon of Cyrene who uh, is going to carry it for him. But Jesus starts, as he's told his disciples to carry their crosses and follow him, he begins carrying his cross with uh, the weakness of a shredded back by the thongs of the whip with a crown of thorns uh, shoved into his head, stripped half naked, mocked and pelted by stones and fruit and utterly desolate and utterly deserted by his disciples in that moment. He takes a look at those beside him, those who mock him, those who have made him carry this cross, those who are throwing things at him, those who are shouting, those who are jeering, those who have not loved him, but who have hated him. And he looks on them with love and with intention and with purpose. And according to the plan of God that he set before the foundation of the world, Jesus takes another step upon the road to the cross. There is no one but God himself who could have planned this before the foundation of the world, before the world was made, and with love, with focused intention, walked that road. For you and for me, we are in this moment uh, looking back at this last week of Jesus' life and seeing ourselves in the frame as those who have betrayed him, those who have bullied, those who have hurt, those who have lied, those who have wounded others, those who have misunderstood who he was. Uh, we stand in that story and we now see his eyes looking back at us, taking steps toward the cross for us, and we see acceptance in his eyes. We see love in his eyes. We see intention in his eyes. We see purpose in his eyes. And if we can see that, if we can see that plan from before the beginning of time brought forward to that moment in history that we're going to celebrate together on Good Friday, we absolutely have to marvel at it. We have to fall on our knees and worship him. 
We have to fall on our faces and see the glory of it, to look at it with awe and to be in reverence to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth walked the road to the cross and died for us. So we must worship. We must worship. And we have to see ourselves in the frame as sinners who are in desperate need of the forgiveness that he's working for us. We have to see the brokenness in our hearts and and be astounded that with that brokenness in our hearts, he looks on us with love and takes those steps with intention when he could have turned the other way and utterly destroyed us for the wickedness in in our hearts. We receive his kingdom. We receive his love. And we say, we we give you our lives. We receive this gift of salvation. We give our hearts to you again. We repent, we turn. We say, you are our savior. And you are our Lord. We receive the gift of this love for us. And then we follow. We say, Lord Jesus, would you please make us people who can walk in your way, who can look on those who hurt us, who can look on those who wound us, who can look on those who are trying to destroy us and break us and lie to us and betray us. And we can look on them with love and walk in forgiveness and grace. And as Jesus commanded us every step of the way in his ministry, that we could be people who would take up our crosses and follow him. So we marvel, we receive, and we follow. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.